With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I woke up at 5 a.m. Put on my camouflage. Wiped off my 243 and fired up my Dodge. Headed out to my old deer stand back in the pines. Gonna get me a 10-point buck with 11-inch tines. I'm a bad And welcome back to hour number two of Jim Strainer Outdoors. If you're just joining tonight's broadcast, we're talking turkey. Imagine that. <laughs> uh, Kentucky's turkey season, statewide season, opened this weekend. And we've been talking about the aberrations in the bird activity, in the Foliage and a lot of things, really, in the first hour. If you missed the first hour of the broadcast, incidentally, you can always get us on podcast at Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. All the shows in the past several years are archived there, and uh, hopefully that'll be a informational situation for you where you can Listen to us if you missed us, or if you'd like to download those broadcasts and put them in your archives. So, again, that's Spreaker.com. I've got another friend of mine on the line from Meade County. He is a veteran hunter of all stripes. Uh, He is the son of Tony Brown. One of my favorite all-time Fish and Wildlife Commissioners, Tony served on the commission as the 3rd District Wildlife Commissioner, and his son Anthony Brown is on the line with me. Anthony is on the pro staff for Nomad and Mossy Oak. He's a professional videographer. He's done a lot of uh, videos that you've seen through the years on Mossy Oak and Night and Hail television shows. Anthony, I really appreciate you visiting with us. Hey, Jim. Good to talk to you. Yes, sir. Well, Anthony, you and I have uh, been up and down the road a lot. we got a lot of mutual friends, and uh, I want to pay a respect, I guess, to the circles we both run in and some of the folks that we brush shoulders with. And the reason I want to do that is that the reason I'm able to give information like I do on my program is because of folks like yourself 
that are out in the woods, actually out there with their boots on the ground, that I know rely on for consistent and very objective observations. So welcome to the show, and uh, we got a lot to talk about. <laughs> All righty. Uh, Anthony, uh, let me start off with the fact that you and I have been through a lot of turkey seasons. You, you yourself, your daddy, Andy Mills, who's part of our hunting group. Uh, this is a very unique season. I'd like you to talk to folks about some of your observations, and then we're going to talk about strategies and, you know, what this season portends, because it's, it's a very unusual season to say the least it has been for sure and they've it seems like a couple weeks ago these turkeys were on fire in the mornings and then a bunch of the guys that i talked to even midday they were gobbling they'd hear them and a couple of guys actually wanted to go on with this past week he does a lot of uh, farm work like he goes and observes these crops for the guys and he was sending videos all hours of the day, gobblers out there strutting around with hens and just gobbling good. And we started hunting Fort Knox Wednesday, and it was just kind of odd. Of course, it was colder than your average turkey hunting day at 26 and 28 degrees. And you better believe it. Weird, weird cold. They uh, it just it kind of like it just it shut them down, but they started gobbling, you know, up in the morning and. Then the last two mornings I've been out, you know, on state ground, and it's just they're gobbled good off the roost. I mean, you hear a ton of turkeys, and then I talked to two or three people that didn't hear a bird or hear one way off. And well, as was the case when Dad hunted our farm the past two mornings, he finally heard a couple turkeys close. And it doesn't make sense when you're getting trail camera pictures all up until January, February of 10 or 11 gobblers. You know, they're there somewhere. They're just not seeing anything. Well, you and I have hunted turkeys. We've been fortunate enough and blessed to hunt turkeys in, good, good Lord, so many states. And because of that, we have, I think, a, a, an ability to look at what happens in situations like this. And a lot of folks are flagging a bit. By that, I mean they're, they're dismayed. They haven't heard the amount of talk that they normally hear. One of the things that's been very, very noticeable for me in my scouting this week and in my hunt over the weekend, and I mean it's glaringly obvious, is the lack of fly-down cackling by hens and hen talk. Uh, does that remember what you're seeing? I have heard in the past two days two hens, tops, and I've never I never heard one fly down, and I heard one yelp one time yesterday morning. Never heard a hen this morning. Never saw a hen, and the gobblers were just like the three that I called in this morning. You know, they were by themselves. I guess they were out looking, and that was at ten o'clock, and. Still never heard a hen, and on the way out, well, I take that back. I did see a hen yesterday morning as I was sitting in the truck. She popped out of the woods all by herself, picking down the road, and never made a peep, and never heard a turkey gobble anywhere close while she was out. So it's kind of 
it kind of baffled me on what was going on there because I thought they would, that time of morning, they'd definitely be out looking for a hen. Well, what's what surprised me, and I expected some of this because of how early the birds broke up and how much gobbling activity and and uh, gobblers dragging behind hens in those smaller groups once they broke. Obviously, there's been a lot of breeding activity before the season opened this time. And I by that when I say a lot, I'm going to say a very large percentage of breeding activity has occurred. And I'm not used to not hearing hen cackling off the roost uh, or hens calling on the ground when they hit the ground this time of year. Now, I, I'm going to stretch my neck a little bit here and say and ask you, to me that means they're either A, uh, laying, or B, they're already starting to nest. I feel with the soil temperatures that uh, Andy Mills, who's a, a meat cat extension agent for UK, you know, he said soil temperatures reached 60-something degrees almost two weeks ago. Oh, yeah. And that's the that's the point at which hens start to lay because that means their eggs won't freeze. But <laughs> having said that, going forward, I wonder, you know, we were down to, what, 24, 22 degrees in a lot of the counties around the state this past week, and I know the temperatures, the soil temperatures, that is, were warm leading up to that, but unless those eggs were covered over or in an area where they would not succumb, if you will, or mm-hmm. or uh, have results of this freeze, there's going to be a lot of re-nesting probably and or... Um, some subsequent breeding activity from predator destru- uh, de- uh, destruction from nests, things like that. So it ain't over. I mean, a lot of guys will say, man, I, I think it's over with. It's not over with. These gobblers are at the peak of their breeding capabilities. And without receptive heads, they're going to cruise and and bruise and look for love in all the wrong places. Oh, that, that's what I'm thinking. They're, they're going to stay vocal for a while. And you, you're talking about that early breeding. I had a friend of mine, he works all over the state. And in March, he was sending me videos down in western Kentucky as he drove by some of the river bottoms, gobblers and hens out in the field. And on his way back, he videoed, there was a gobbler breeding a hen. And this is like the third week of March. Yes. And I couldn't believe it. And I said, that's, that's actually happening right there. And he slowed down and he sent another video the next day. And I said, it's it's going to be a surprise to me if, if some of them aren't done by turkey season. But if they're done, if the hens are done, then the gobblers, like you say, they're not done. They're going to still be out searching. So you just going to have to find the right bird. But they're, yes, they're going to stay it, it, and, and the two-year-olds in particular that are feeling that testosterone surge and the older birds that have been through multiple seasons of this, 
they're going to go looking for receptive hands. And I'm not sure with the Colts spell to hit that there's not going to be some lost eggs. By that, I mean, you know, eggs that burst or, or that won't produce. And these hands are going to start doing re-nest efforts. So there's a lot of moving parts here. And I, I, I'd like, if you don't mind, to talk to you about this. i got to go to a break. Can you hang on with us? Yes, sir. All right, folks, i got to go to a quick break here. This break is presented by Mossy Oak Properties Heart Realty. Paul Thomas is a broker. He's a turkey hunter. He's a deer hunter. And he has all kind of outdoor properties for sale. He'd be glad to list yours. Check out their listings at M-O-P-H-A-R-T-Realty.com. Back on Jim Strader Outdoors. And, again, I've got Anthony Brown, who's a professional videographer. He's on pro staff for Nomad and Mossy Oak, and he's uh, done video for years for Night and Hale. Anthony, um, mixed bag of tricks here. Let me let me talk about what I'm hearing from a lot of folks. I am hearing that there are gobblers still breeding hens. Uh, in my hunting over the weekend, I heard a lot of gobblers sounding off. But the one thing that I've not heard much of is groups of hens or two or three hens and flat-down tackles. So what this means to me is there's a lot of good hunting ahead, but it's different. It's it's going to be a different season. What Again, what is your take on that? These turkeys, like you said, they are acting different, and there are, there are still some turkeys that are going to be breeding, and especially if they end up, if something happens in this freeze or they get predators raid their nest or something and they if they get if they get ready to start again then it's gonna be just like opening day again. But you know as well as I do, they could turn on tomorrow. You know, turkeys being turkeys, that's a couple of days of sunshine might be all they need to just get fired up all during the day and you know, that one of my favorite times of hunting is you know, those ten, eleven o'clock in the morning turkeys that if you can get one of them fired up, your odds are pretty good at killing one. But yeah, you, you know, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because this is something in this type of season that we need to talk about. Um, with the absence of groups of hens eager to breed, which incidentally is tends to be somewhat of a problem because when gobblers are trailing behind groups of hens, they're hard to break off. In a season where birds have started to lay or nest, and you still have the peak of the uh, breeding desire in these gobblers, they're going to gobble and go crazy. You, You can't discount the amount of desire that they have in a season like this to attempt to breed just because the hens have done something different. It's it. I, I don't know if I'm communicating that properly, but what I'm trying to say is they're ready, willing, and able to breed. 
And if you can let them understand or, or in their pea brain mind think that you're a hen that is ready, willing, and able, you've got a real receptive bird there. Oh yeah, especially you know, especially mid morning after they've shut up, like this morning at seven o'clock, they turkeys they rock the woods in the trees. And then once they hit the ground, they gobbled for a little while. But by 7 o'clock, it was like you flipped a switch. They shut down for 20 minutes, 30 minutes maybe, and then you'd hear them scattered out. And I made a move on a couple different ones, and then finally that last group, I thought they were – I actually thought it was three or four jakes. And then another turkey gobbled on the ridge up above me, and I thought, well, this – this is game over. This turkey will come down here because it was the exact same spot where Dad killed one with me last year, and it was up in the morning just like that. And it's a pretty good strut zone through there. And he came down the hill, and he got one time, and he had cut the distance in half, and I hadn't heard that turkey since. But when those three popped out of the woods down there and they came strutting in, I saw they were all longbeards. Then I knew I was in business. But... After I shot that one, the other two hung around, and, of course, they're attacking the hen decoy, and there were other turkeys started gobbling off in the distance. So somewhere around 10, 10, 15, those turkeys cranked back up this morning. So if you'd have been within hearing range of, of those gobblers, you probably could have made a move and a couple calls, you might have had them in your lap. And I think that's probably how it's going to be for the next week or so. I do too. I, I want to make a comment. It, it's it may be a little controversial. That's okay, but I want your read on it because we both got a lot of years of experience behind us. Most years, this early in the season, you know, mid-April, a strutting gobbler decoy and a couple of hens is magic because there's still a lot of fighting going on. There's still a lot of hustling, and I, I think we're beyond that sorting out period this year. And by that, I mean I think the dominant situation is a little bit behind us, and as such, and I saw evidence of this yesterday. Maybe I'm overboard. Maybe I'm not. I'm just throwing it out here. I think this is the year when you're better off with a submissive uh, Jake decoy with a hen or a couple of hen decoys rather than the more aggressive uh, big gobbler decoy because a lot of these birds have already been beat up. The one yesterday, I brought this bird a long, long ways. And obviously, it was about 9 o'clock, which is one of my favorite times to hunt. 9 to 11 to me is almost my favorite, to be honest about it. And mid to late season certainly and we're kind of in that kind of category right now what are your thoughts about that I, you know a, a big gobbler decoy can bring a dominant bird right now but it can also intimidate two-year-old birds that have been whipped by the dominant bird i want your thoughts on that shoot don't get me the line they uh <laughs> It could be either way. I mean, I normally, I, I I carry a Jake all the time. This morning, I had one hen. That's all I put out. Now, this morning, if I would have had a 
full fan strutter out there, it wouldn't have changed a bit because I don't think. Because three long beards popping out there, I'm guessing the one I killed was at least three years old. I'm guessing they probably all were. They probably would have run straight up there anyway. But like you're saying, you get some of these turkeys that have been beat on a little bit. They may they may kind of shy away. And I have seen them in pairs or sometimes by themselves. They come in there and just jump on him just thinking they're going to get some revenge. Right. But well, I, I they, guess what I'm saying is this is a, a season among seasons to maybe be a little more conservative about the decoy deal. All right, folks, we got to go to break. We'll be back. Get straighter outdoors. Straighter outdoors. And as previously reported on my program, we had an unusual and very unique situation develop where Governor Andy Bashir attempted to fire two members of the Fish and Wildlife Commission or remove them from office, maybe is the correct way to say that. Uh, and it was based on the political affiliations in the Fish and Wildlife Commission. By law and statute, the KRS statutes, the being the Kentucky Revised Statutes that govern the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources, there is to be no more than five members on the commission of any one political party. And what that's designed to do is create balance on the commission so that a governor or a particular political party could dominate that system and upset the balance of power that the sportsmen and women in the Commonwealth desire on the commission. So to bring you up to speed here, Governor Bashir signed an executive order in an attempt to remove the chairman of the Fish and Wildlife Commission, Paul Clenard, and Paul Horn, uh, another member of the Fish and Wildlife Commission from Eastern Kentucky. I've got on the line tonight Edwin Nybert, who is the president of the Kentucky Sportsman, who asked the Attorney General about an opinion about this firing, and there's some very revealing uh, information about this. Edwin, can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. All right, Edwin, that's uh, the story as I see it. We uh, reported on this and covered it. And uh, I guess I'm going to let you take it from here because as president of the league, you actually asked the attorney general for an opinion on this, and the opinion is official now. So talk to us about what happened here. Yes, sir. Um, on February 21st of 2020, um, the governor issued an executive order that summarily removed uh, uh, Chairman uh, Carl Kennard and uh, Commissioner Paul Horn based on uh, the Kentucky
Kentucky Revised Statute, and forgive me, I don't have it right in front of me right now, but that's the political affiliation. No more than five members of that of that commission can be of one party. Um, and uh, I'll just start. Let me read what what the uh, uh, what the environmental lawyer who is you know it's signed by uh, Daniel Cameron, but this gentleman is the environmental lawyer that that wrote the opinion. And I'll just read. Let me read from it a little bit here. Um, well, uh, as a clarification, this lawyer is out of the AG's office. Yes, sir. He is their okay, chief go ahead. environmental lawyer. Yes, sir. His name is Carmine, and and I want to read his name before I try to mispronounce it. If you're listening, sir, I'm, I apologize. Uh, I don't have his name in front of me. I will have it at the end of this year. Uh, but on uh, February 21st, 2020, Governor Andy Bashir issued Executive Order 2020-178, which purported to rescind the appointment of two members of the Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources Commission, uh, Chairman Dr. Carl Clenard and Paul Horn. Uh, for reasons that follow, it is the opinion of this office that the executive order is void and without any legal effort uh, effect. I'm sorry. Uh, Commissioners Clenard and Horn remain members of the commission. That's the initial paragraph of it. And All right, again, this comes directly from this the is Attorney General's verbatim office. From the order that was issued on April 7th. All right, go ahead, sir. Okay. Um, he goes on to say, um, the Department of Fish and Wildlife Resource Commission is established by KRS 150.022 and is, among other duties, charged with keeping a, quote, watchful eye upon the Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources, unquote, and that's according to KRS 150.023. Under KRS 150.022, the commission will convince consists of nine members, one from each wildlife district, and not more than five of the same political party. The governor appoints these uh, members subject to confirmation by the Senate under KRS 150.022, subsection 2. On August 5th, Commissioners Clenard and Horn were appointed under Executive Order 219-590. On February 13th, 2020, the Senate confirmed both Commissioners Horn and Clenard. All right, Edward, hey, 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 let, let me stop you right there. Okay. Because this is one of the key components in this decision, in my estimation. Yes, sir. Not only were these gentlemen chosen to be on the commission, they were confirmed according to Senate Bill 64, which the League of Kentucky Sportsmen, myself, members of the conservation community across the state, went to the Senate and asked for the ability beyond the appointment by the governor for the Senate to be the safety valve, if you will, right. the for confirmation of these folks. And here's what I mean by that. This, this is a very important point. What this did, and the reason I was behind it, uh, I talked glowingly about Commissioner Tony Brown a minute ago. He was at the forefront of this. Senator Gary Tapp, Senator Joy Pendleton pushed Senate Bill 64 for the league for all of us for this reason. With the Senate as a backup, 
for what the sportsman's desires are, if someone were to be appointed by the governor and we didn't like them, we didn't think they were sufficient, or in a case like this, the governor tried to remove them contrary to statute, we had another backup situation, which is they were confirmed by our election. Something that I think we need to keep in mind now. Go forward, if you will. Uh, yes, sir. You're, you're exactly correct. Uh, I mean, as he goes on to state in the opinion, he says on February 13, 2020, the Senate confirmed both Commissioners Horn and uh, Chairman Clenard. On February there. I'm here. Can you hear me? Obviously, I apologize for the break in connection. I'm not sure what happened there. We appeared to have lost power. At any rate, we're talking to Edwin Nybert, who is the president of the League of Kentucky Sportsman, about the governor's attempt to fire two members of the Fish and Wildlife Commission. Edwin, we still got you? Yes, sir. All right. I don't know where we got cut off, partner, so I'm going to defer to you. Uh, we, uh, we 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 were leaving off when um, <coughs> excuse me at the end of uh, uh, the definition by uh, the attorney um, about where the commissioners are appointed from. I'm from each district, not more than five of the same political party, and that's under KRS one five zero dot o two two subsection two. And uh, I was getting ready to read the paragraph, but I think it's very important on this opinion, that on August 5th, 2019, Commissioners Clenard and Horn were appointed under Executive Order 2019-590. On February 13th, 2020, the Senate confirmed both Commissioners Horn and Chairman Clenard. On February 21st, 2020, Governor Bashir purported to rescind those two appointments and declare them null and void, quote-unquote on the basis that the commission was composed of seven Republicans and two independents. Thus, the executive order claims those appointments were void ab initio. The executive order states no further reason or authority for removing those two commissioners. Um, and it goes on to say, just for time, are we okay on time? No, no, we're, we're fine. Slow down. We okay. Let me, let me read on then, please. It's not much longer. Um, on the date the governor issued the executive order, however, the commission was comprised of five individuals registered as Republicans and four individuals registered as independents. Thus, there were not more than five, this is in quotes, members of the same political party, end quote. When the governor issued the executive order uh, at that time, even assuming that the governor has the authority to remove commissioners for the reasons stated in his executive order, it is this office's opinion that there is no factual basis to support the purported removal of commissioners Clenard and Horn memorialized in the executive order because the commissioner's composition complied with KRS 150.022 subsection 1 on the date of each of the commissioners was appointed. The date on which this uh, Senate confirmed them, and on the date of their, excuse me, let's change the page here, 
hypothesis analysis could conclude here. But in addition to the inaccurate factual premise relied on by the governor, there are also legal impediments to his action. And at that point in time, um, I'm going to get his name right because I'm going to pull it up right here, uh, Jim, if you don't care. Um, but it's signed by, uh, of course, Daniel Cameron, Attorney General, and Carmine G. Icarino, and he's the Executive Director and Environmental Counsel to the AG. Um, it, it, in in my requesting of that, um, I, I, make no mistake about it, I, I, I like uh, Chairman Clenard very much and Paul Horn very much as well. But I was not following that opinion or asking for that opinion based on those two gentlemen. Um, when I volunteered to take this job, I felt like the league had failed the sportsmen in in making sure that process was adhered to. And this was a blatant and overt, overt transgression of the process. And that's why I filed the, that that. that Ask for that opinion, and I did so with full support of the board. And in that regard, you're speaking as president of the League of Kentucky Sportsmen, correct? One hundred percent. Well, the thing that you know, a lot of people are trying to paint this as a political football, and I think that's a mistaken notion. And here's why. It wouldn't matter whether it's Democrats, Republicans, Independents, etc. The league stance and what the sportsmen and, and outdoor women of the Commonwealth need to realize is that the league stance on this revolved around process. And the process is that the governor appoints, there could be no more than five for the protection of uh, political overreach by any one party. And then the Senate confirms. And the, the reason the Senate confirmation is so important in my mind, and it was when we again uh, approached the legislature about Senate Bill 64, 64. Yes. was that we, and by we I mean myself, Mr. Tony Brown, uh, uh, the senators that were involved uh, and, and members of the uh, House that were involved, we wanted the Senate to be able to confirm the people that the current governor sent forward so that there would not be misdeeds. There wouldn't be political wrangling. There wouldn't be a lot of the things that's gone on in the past, and when Senator Gary Taft and Joy Pendleton, if I may, who, who were Republican, pardon, I said, if I may interrupt, you know, the reason that that I volunteered to take this thankless position in many ways, and and very rewarding to many others. I don't mean to be negative about it, but the reason I chose that is because I grew up. Um, where St. Joseph East Hospital, um, with the with the bluegrass uh, league, the league and, uh, and and was involved with the league, and I remember when we packed, uh, you know, an, an auditorium 
with sportsmen wanting to make sure that the right man was in on that table. And when I came back from Minnesota, um, I started watching. And I just we we've gotten so far away from the involvement of sportsmen in that process and allowed politics to infiltrate that process that that that's my goal you know I, my personal relationship with everybody on the commission doesn't matter because i'm not going to be in this position forever and i want to make sure that whoever takes it over that process is being followed to the nth degree and it's spelled out in kentucky revised statutes uh, please look we go to the website um and and look for it, KentuckySportsman.com, um, and look at it. I mean, it's spelled out very well, and there's other organizations that are spelled out just as well. And it's very important for us to get back to that process. Well, it is, and again, back to Senate Bill 64, that was yes, designed to allow legislative oversight to where if we didn't like a appointee, or if there were problems with an appointee, we could go to the Senate, which is the august body that tends to be a little more deliberative and responsive to the folks in the state and say, look, we don't like this guy or gal. Uh, We'd rather have somebody else. They've got the ability to kick them out, and they've done so. Quite frankly, there's been some folks recommended for positions on the Fish and Wildlife Commission that really weren't what the sportsmen and, and outdoor women of the state wanted, and the Senate has responded to that. So yes, in this sir. regard, because of that, and because of that backup or that fallback position where these two individuals were appointed by the governor and confirmed by the Senate, that attorney general's opinion has some weight behind it. So kudos to you, Edwin, as president of the league and for the league, once again, as in so many cases, that it stood up for the sportsmen of the state of Kentucky. Edwin, thank you so much. Folks, we got to go. A lot of hunting and fishing out there. Remember, outdoor activities are the best activities. To let you social distance. Look for us at Spreaker.com for podcasts and Jim Strainer Outdoors on Facebook. God bless everybody. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.